You're listening to the Gov Future Podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, we speak with Chris Tonjes, Chief Information Officer at the D.C. Department of Employment Services. We learn how D.C., which in many ways is like a state, county, and city all at once, leverages data, AI, automation, and analytics to deliver effective and efficient services, as well as how the department collaborates with other state, local, and federal agencies to advance the use of emerging technology. Stay tuned. and welcome to the Gov Future podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And we really have been listening to a lot of you. So many of you have really given us feedback on the Gov Future podcast. This has only been going on, this Gov Future podcast, since, well, earlier this year here in 2023. But as you know, many of you may recognize Kathleen and I from our AI Today podcast, which we've been going on for seven plus years. So yeah, we've, we've, we've been doing the podcasting thing for a while. But even though we've been doing it for a while, we still want to hear from you because we want to hear what things you want to hear more of, maybe what things you want to hear less of, what things you want to hear, maybe different concepts. And I think that's the great thing about where we're going with GovFuture, which is really highlighting all the great innovation that's happening in the public sector across not just federal, civilian, and defense, but of course, state and local and even international governments and agencies. And, you know, the great thing about what we've been doing is that, yes, there's a lot of news being made today uh, about artificial intelligence and machine learning. There's still a lot of great innovation happening a- across all technology areas, automation, analytics, big data, cloud, IT modernization, cybersecurity, all those great things. So, again, uh, if you want to hear more, let's say, uh, focus on per- this particular topic from this particular cup- kind of agency, let us know because we regularly reach out to all of our contacts across our big Gov Future community, which has several thousand members. And of course, you know, this is a great place for you to stay connected and hear about the latest innovations and best practices to stay ahead of innovation in the public sector. Exactly. And if you're not familiar with Gov Future and our community, Gov Future is the fastest growing community of government innovators. You can learn more at govfuture.com, and I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. But we've been so fortunate to have a wide you know, breadth of members in our community and folks that we interact with. So not just at the federal level, but also state and local governments, as well as international governments. And we like to feature those people on our podcast so that our community can really understand everything that's going on at all levels of government. So for today's podcast, we're excited to have with us Chris Tonjes, who is Chief Information Officer at the DC Department of Employment Services. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Kathleen and Ron, for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited for this discussion. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and now your current role as Chief Information Officer. Sure. Uh, So I have um, been lucky enough to be in government IT for about the last 19, it's been 19 years, um, and I have been a CIO at several different agencies, uh, first starting in the D.C. government um, for the D.C. Public Library. Uh, Then I was fortunate enough to spend two years being the CIO for the city of Baltimore. 
Uh, and then I came back to D.C. where I was a consultant for two really intense years, helping stand up the D.C. Health Benefits Exchange. Uh, after that, um, when that project ended, I became the CIO for the D.C. Office of the Attorney General. Uh, and I stayed there for six and a half years. I was lucky enough to be there for six and a half years. And I've been here at the Department of Employment Services since January. The Department of Employment Services is equal to the Maryland State Department of Labor and Licensing or the Virginia State Labor Department. D.C. is not a city, not a state, not a county, all three. So all of our agencies here have state-level responsibilities. Our agency is the district's workforce agency. So our big programs here that we manage and operate are unemployment insurance. There are about 20,000 people right now that are collecting unemployment insurance in D.C. That number has gone down a bit, which is good. Uh, and then there are, I think, 70,000 businesses that actually pay unemployment insurance taxes. So we're responsible for collecting uh, those taxes as well. Um, we also have are fortunate enough here to have a paid family leave program. So for people that work in D.C. or live in D.C., if you need to take paid time off um, to care for a loved one uh, or for paternity leave, you have that benefit here. Um, and that is similar in scope and similar in administrative functions to unemployment. We have a whole team that does that. So that's a really great program that a lot of people are learning about and uh, availing themselves of. We also um, have a extremely high profile program that we run every year called the Marion Berry Summer Youth Employment Program. This is a great program where approximately 15 to 20,000, 14 to 21 year olds um, are hired to work at a variety of government agencies and private companies for the summer. Um, not only do they work there, but they get other types of training as well, financial literacy training, resume writing, uh, social media presence instructions. So it's a great program. We're really lucky to be a part of it. It just ended. So uh, we, we run that as well. We also are responsible for administering wage and hour laws here to make sure that um, employers pay a fair wage, a lawful wage. Uh, to their employees and those that are uh, have federal contracts are adhering to Davis-Bacon laws, which which uh, determine the wage that um, workers on federal uh, contracts can get. And then um, we also adjudicate workers' comp cases, which is a really big program that we have here. And then lastly, and, and also really importantly, and, and in my mind, really interestingly here, we have a group of labor economists who study the labor market and work with the universities and the school system here and think tanks and uh, a, a variety of private companies to understand trends in the labor market, to try to come up with ways to match the human capital we have in D.C., with emerging needs and to provide a lot of data to the city, to the district council, and also to the U.S. Department of Labor and to other stakeholders. So we have a very large footprint here, um, and we do a lot of different things. Yes, yeah, certainly. And it's really, D.C. is really an interesting and like odd you know, this creature, I don't you call it an odd jurisdiction, because you're right, it combines many of the things that city governments have to do to manage a city right. in urban area. 
the things that a county has to do to manage things within their county jurisdiction. And of course, all the state level things, even though D.C. isn't yet a state. I shouldn't say that, but who knows? Who knows the future, what the future might tell? So, um, but I think those are interesting, unique challenges, especially from where you're sitting as a CIO and trying to put your arms around a lot of the uh, the systems that enable a lot of those services, even though focusing on the specific uh, mandate of what you're doing within the Department of, of uh, Employment Services. But even there, it's like when you talk about the uh, you know the, the the economists trying to predict the future of labor, and I'm thinking there's a lot of office space in D.C. And we know that even like the nature of office space is changing, and that changes the nature of labor. I'm sure that really has a major major impact. And maybe this is a good way of segueing because like, well, we have technologies that can maybe help us with some analytics, technologies that can help us with some of these automation tasks, technology that can help us gather some more intelligence from our data. So I'm so I guess I'm curious as to kind of what you see, maybe in a limited or an expanded way, the role of some of these technologies, AI, advanced analytics, automation, and either helping with some of those problems or whatever your perspective is and kind of where things are at within the, the, the yeah. Game. So, um, so in a nutshell, I'm trying to create a roadmap and a strategy here, uh, where we can layer those technologies on top of business problems or business processes that we have right now. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, and I'll start with, I'll start with the, the highest impact, uh, problem that we're dealing with and that we probably will deal with for the foreseeable future and that is benefits fraud so during the pandemic um, uh, unemployment fraud was rampant long before i came here to work i had a fraudulent unemployment claim opened in my name which is pretty amazing because i was a dc government employee so there's no reason in the world why i was eligible for or should have gotten unemployment insurance but there were um, just literally thousands and thousands of people that became unemployed during the pandemic. Um, all of them tried to apply for unemployment insurance simultaneously. And then there were people that kind of studied the process and looked for gaps and exploited those gaps and, and uh, found ways to actually receive fraudulent benefits um, through our unemployment insurance programs. So if you look at that one business problem, there are a couple of different modern technologies that we can use and that we are using to try to, to solve that problem. And it will always be a moving target because bad guys will continue to look for ways to get um, through any type of defense. So one of the things that we have layered on top of our application process yeah. is AI, AI to determine if there are anomalies in an applicant. For example, um, if somebody is applying for unemployment insurance and they are, they appear to be within the area of this area, but they are using a, a Chinese keyboard or doing other things that are kind of weird they'll get flagged for further um investigation and so on there are other there are a bunch of other uh things that we're constantly looking for and algorithms that are constantly being applied to figure out what patterns um, a fraudulent claim might have 
and and our service providers that we use to to defend ourselves from that have really done a remarkable job of adding different types of AI to the process, and that's helped. Um, but while we still get a large number of fraudulent claims, it's gone down to a manageable percentage rather than being something that was completely out of control. So that's one use case for AI. Another use case for AI is in the preparation of our reports about the um, the labor market. So in order to prepare those reports, we use as sources structured and semi-structured data. It could take a really long time to prepare those reports. So by using AI, we could really quickly query the semi-structured data, find patterns, and then layer other types of automation on that to prepare those documents. So we're really excited about that. That's something that we're doing right now. Um, we are two years behind in preparing some of those reports. So we feel like this will be a good way to help us get caught up. Um, the the uh, stakeholders for this are the, are the employees of DOES, and they're excited to use it. Um, we also have a project that started before I got here called DataWorks. And our director is extremely um, technology forward. So we have a whole set of initiatives underway to use performance data and analytics to try to see where we are um, and making sure that we're doing our work effectively and meeting performance goals, but also um, making sure that our programs are designed to be equitable and accessible to anybody in DC, not just certain people or computer literate people or people who live in one part of the city versus the other part of the city. So that's really, really important work. Um, on the automation front, there were a couple of experiments done with robotic uh, process automation, and we're going to continue with that because we have a large backlog of claims that have to be processed, and processing a claim is a very labor-intensive thing. So a, a, a pilot project was done last year, and we're going to resurrect that and utilize RPA to, to get through the backlog of claims that we have. We still have a very large backlog of claims, and we, um, we find ourselves uh, constantly having to hire people. So, so um, you know, with less people but more work, really automation is the answer to try to keep things going at a level that, that makes things work for everybody. Um, I've inherited a couple of very large projects, which are legacy, which are legacy system modernization projects. So we are in the middle of replacing our unemployment insurance claim system, parts of which are almost 50 years old um, with a new system. And we are also replacing our unemployment tax system, parts of which are 30 to 40 years old with a new uh, unemployment tax system. So those are two very large enterprise projects Many states are doing the same thing. The pandemic really drove home uh, the need to modernize unemployment insurance systems, and we're we are doing that here. These are big projects, transformational projects, uh, multi-million dollar, multi-year projects. We're almost done with one of them. Uh, the other one still has a ways to go. So I'm in the middle of doing those two things. The underlying goal for me is to 
rather than just ripping out one system and replacing it with another, uh, is to utilize platforms and utilize technologies and utilize um, things that could easily be swapped out in the future. Uh, we're also really interested, we have a project going on called DOES Connect. And the, the, the goal of that project is to create a whole bunch of uh, reusable APIs that we can use to, to connect various systems to each other and really quickly exchange information in a secure way. So that's a really great project that I'm excited about. We have another project called MyDOES, and MyDOES is an identity management um, uh, project. So if you were going to participate in one of our programs, be it unemployment, be it a youth program, be it something else, you would sign up and get a user ID and password, and we would know who you were. And that way, when it came time to uh, get unemployment or participate in something else, you would al already have a secure and safe user ID and password. So that's a really great project that we have going on as well. And then we also have a, um, a foundational project that I call UI Document Management System, where we're going to collapse four legacy document management systems into one modern cloud-based system, which also will include an AI layer. Um, so we'll have a safe place to store case-related documents or other related documents that are part of an unemployment uh, insurance case. So we're pretty excited about those. Those are transformational projects. Um, we we want to go from being a agency that was full of last, the last place in the district with Windows 7 computers, last place in the district using some mainframe technology that goes back to the 1970s, to a place of first, not only for vanity reasons, but because we see the promise of current technology uh, both from a sustainability and cost perspective, but also from a customer service perspective, because we want to do better for the people in DC that are using our services. So that's a long-winded answer, and I'm happy to to dive down into anything that interests you uh, that I've said. Yeah, that was wonderful. I mean, we always like real world examples. And it's great to hear how, you know, because technology, especially emerging technology innovation, it's meant to help, right? And that's the whole goal of this. So how are you able to take the resources that you currently have, help people do their jobs better? How are you able to take the resources that you currently have and able to make processes more efficient and speed that up so that you can get to everything? Because you're right, having backlogs of years worth of reports and claims that you need to process is not beneficial to anybody, the people waiting for it and the people who are working on those claims as well. So we always love to hear those examples. And it's also wonderful to hear all of the work that you're doing with artificial intelligence. I don't think we can have a conversation about AI, especially nowadays, without talking about large language models, LLMs, and generative AI. So you know, as we talk to different state and local agencies and federal governments as well, everybody has a different perspective on this. So how is your group approaching emerging technologies such as large, large language models, generative AI, and advanced uses of AI? Like, have you thought about that? Do you have policies in place? And do you have any examples of how you've used it? So we have thought about that. And where we're starting is we're starting with defined um products that 
really just deal with a, a closed garden, a walled garden, I should say, of our own data. And and uh, so one example is uh, Azure Azure's you know open AI uh, product that they have. So we're using that. Another example is that we want to use, and we're hoping to be a, a beta tester for, is Box.com's Box AI. Um, as far as policies, we uh, we are a little bit ahead. And when I say we, I mean my department is a little bit ahead of that. We have been using. We used. We actually used Chat GPT to write a whole bunch of mainframe code, and it actually worked out okay. Nice. Uh, you know the the disadvantage of using chat gpt or certain ai tools is that you are sharing data with the whole wide world in this case what we were asking for it to do was really wrote machine level system level a uh, code so it really doesn't matter if the whole wide world gets the code that that we wrote and it was just fine um we've also we also have a um we also have a subscription to github copilot again it's very, very narrowly tailored to our development environment and the things that we're doing. So we're quite careful about what we use it for, what we feed it, what comes out of it. Um, we will probably expand AI to some public things, but again, uh, I have not really delved into which LLMs would work for us because we're not quite there yet. Um, and I'm looking at a whole bunch of different ones that kind of are being developed for government. Um, right now, I'm more focused on getting this into people's hands and using it. So that might be a disappointing answer for you, but that's where we are. Uh, for me, a really important use case, a really important use case is GitHub Copilot. And the example I gave about ChatGPT, I have a whole bunch of vacancies, but I still have a lot of work to do. So anything that my team, uh, which is actually fairly experienced, can use to speed up their work, speed up the writing of quality code, speed up the testing of quality code, um, we're going to utilize immediately. Um, anything that we can turn loose on our files to actually query our files and help prepare reports or get value out of semi-structured data we're going to use immediately. Long-term, that's when we will sit down and try to figure out um, where we want to be in terms of utilizing LLMs that are probably a good fit for us. Um, and I also, I, I came from a conference where we had a long conversation about this with a whole bunch of different people. And somebody asked a question, well, when somebody makes a query on chat GPT, how often, how long do you keep those queries? How long do you keep that? And the answer that, that uh, another CIO gave, which made everybody laugh, but it's actually true, um, and the answer they gave was, well, we'll find that out when we have the first lawsuit. So um, the policies and, and processes are not, uh, necessarily keeping up with with people's usage. I'm trying to be aggressive and getting this into my staff's hands and using it for things that will have direct impact on us, uh, but also careful because I don't want to inadvertently 
get tripped up by security issues or sharing data. So I don't know if that's a, a satisfying answer for you, but that's the best answer that I have. Satisfying as it can be. That's reality. <laughs> some people are satisfied by reality. Some people are not. But I think, you know, honestly, a lot of the things you're talking about, the controlled walled garden use of large language models, the sort of uh, uh, the policies, we will figure it out when we do it or 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 even worse when we have to figure it out. Yeah, uh, I would say it's all pretty typical, honestly. I mean, that's right. That, that, I mean, uh, the, as you know, there are challenges with a lot of emerging technology. There's a reason why they call it a cutting edge. Most of the time, you're usually cutting yourself. Right. <laughs> Leading right. edge, as it were. Uh, but I, th- I think that's very that's very logical. And I think for a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast, who are thinking about themselves, you know, how they would apply these technologies in these other organizations, and you might think, oh, my goodness, so much is happening. I feel like I'm behind. Because there's a sense, you know, you get you like look out at uh, – in the media and you look at your social media feeds and you know every fifth post on LinkedIn is about someone doing something new with some generative AI thing and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm behind. But actually it's really not the case. I think a lot of folks are are still trying to figure it out. As a matter of fact, uh, I think you may have told us in a story a long time ago when we were back in Tech Breakfast land about these uh, IT systems that have been around for a long time. We talked right. about IT modernization. And I have to go back and recall, but it was something about either a phone system or a, some legacy system controlling a water supply. I can't remember which one it was, but there was some, and I try to remember the story, but there was that, some story. That was me. Yes. Uh, so that was me. And and the conversation was about two things. It was about the water billing system, which was really old, um, and the disconnect between the water billing system and water meters. Uh, and the, the phone system was a challenge in Baltimore, too. And that was also really old, but dated back from the early 1980s. So we have a similar but better situation here with our legacy systems similar in that they're old better because they have a great deal of functionality and the people who keep them running are really smart and i want them to stick around after uh, we modernize and after we sunset some of these things because they're 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 tremendous communicators they're they're uh, they have great skill they have the capacity to learn they have the the desire to learn and what's most important is they are great relationship builders that are well known here and, and deal very well with our program uh users so um yeah that's a uh you know this is a similar situation to what i faced in baltimore with legacy modernization but it's actually a little bit better um because what I have to work with is really good. And if it had to stick around for another five or six years, I could make that work and I could build modern um, API adjacent or web service adjacent things on it to make it work. Not that I will, but if I had to, I could. So it's a better, it's it's actually a better situation. I think one, um, you know, consideration that everybody in in government has, or everybody in government IT has, is is governance. So here, um, I am CIO for this agency. It's a state level agency with state level um, responsibilities, uh, but we have we have a a district CTO who's equal to being the Maryland state 
uh, CIO or any state CIO. And we have a governance model here that's somewhat federated where um, we get some policy and procedures and some services from the central IT department. But what's really important to think about in governance is we have the ability to learn things together and leverage off of each other. So now is a really interesting time where everybody is interested in dipping their toe into the AI pool. What can we learn from each other? What kind of services can we get? How can we leverage what we already have? Um, and that is, uh, instead of being an inhibiting factor or limiting factor, it's, it's actually been quite helpful for me uh, me in particular, because I've been here for such a long time and I know everybody. So I feel like I have really uh, strong influence in the direction that the whole district is going to go. And also because there are some guardrails that our uh, citywide IT security part department is putting up that are quite helpful. Um, they're, they're frameworks that are very helpful for us. So that's really really, really um, important governance, working together, trying to leverage off of things. We have some very large contracts with, um, you know, the usual suspect software providers, Microsoft and Salesforce. Right. Every two minutes, literally, maybe three minutes, I'm getting emails saying, buy our product it has chat gpt and buy our product it includes chat gpt uh let me come over and show you our new team's product that has chat gpt so we're all getting bombarded with these things and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise but not a lot of signal so it's our job to try to separate the two and take whatever steps we can take to pragmatically get involved in this yeah, and and actually, that's interesting. The lessons that we've learned from these legacy systems, IT modernization, a lot of times it's not really the technology that is the primary issue. It's mostly right. people to process, right? Either either help to your point, either helping or getting in the way. And really, it's it's optimizing. Like sometimes we may have to commit to technology that decision has been made a long time ago, and we need to figure out how to make that work rather than we don't have the the uh, luxury, as it were, sometimes to to rip and replace, as the old term used to be. Uh, right. Which, you know, open heart surgery is not a particularly good thing to do when you're dependent right. on services. And, and actually, if you want to come to that, because I had like a little follow up question about about uh, interagency cooperation and also even like cooperating among like different state. Because you were talking about your state level, so. Right. Organ working with other states, working with other cities. I know it's kind of a unique position that you're in, but I would love to learn, uh, hear from you how how you're learning or interacting with some of these other agencies at all levels. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I'll answer the internal. Um, D, you know, DC is a not a state, not a city, not a county. All three. Uh, DC is a, a fairly you know, large bureaucracy of about 43,000 employees, and there are 83 different agencies. Um, we're one of the bigger ones. And because I, you know, we all work together, we all learn from each other. Um, and we have regular, you know, a cadence of ways to talk to each other. But we just do this anyway, because it's those of us that have been here for a while, have figured out that you're not going to get very far if you're just operate on an island and you don't talk to people so what does that mean that means that we share 
things, projects that we're doing. Sometimes we share people, we share contracts. Sometimes even we share money if it, if it works out, if there's a, a project that has to be done across a couple of agencies. Uh, sometimes we, you know, there will be a, you know, a multi-agency funded project that'll help um, two or three agencies together solve a problem. And that's becoming more and more prevalent as we try as hard as we can to stretch our IT dollars a little bit farther than we were. Um, and also we don't want to, I don't, and the rest of us want to try to eliminate silos than be in silos. It doesn't really help. On the state level, um, I am lucky enough to be part of a professional group called the National Association of State Workforce Agencies, and I'm on the technology committee, and we share information with each other all the time. And, and there are three or four conferences a year that we go to where we regularly do things. Um, I have somebody, I have, I have uh, somebody from NASWA that has advised me and helps me with specific problems that I have. And we have multi-state calls where we where we exchange information about the vendors that we use, about the challenges that we have. Uh, unemployment um, insurance is a largely federally funded project. And the uh, Labor Department funds a lot of our work. So there are lots of Labor Department guidelines that we have to follow. There are lots of IRS security guidelines that we have to follow. So, so you know, interacting with other states and understanding what they do in order not to make mistakes or just to learn from each other, really a big part of the job. Um, but it's also personally something that I enjoy because I like to learn about what other people are doing and I, I don't exist on an island. And I've, I find these kinds of conversations with my peers to be useful um helpful and really honestly just fun so they sometimes validate my ideas other times like oh my god you're, you're an idiot you're going in the wrong direction you need to course correct before anybody figures out what an idiot you are um and that happens from time to time but you know i do personally and we do in this agency we leverage off of and not just in it the whole agency is really aware of what's going on in the country and other state workforce agencies. Yeah, that's always so wonderful. You know, we like to, we always love to hear about collaboration as well, because I think that is incredibly important. Um, not everybody always talks and you're right. There's a lot of silos in government, but in different industries and organizations as well, uh, for a variety of different reasons. So it is nice to hear about that collaboration and to get different perspectives and ideas. So it's nice to hear how much you are collaborating there. We always love to end our podcast asking the same question to everybody because you all of the guests bring such unique and diverse experiences with them and answer this question in different ways. What do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in government? So um, I hope to see three or four things happen. And some of them actually already are happening. Um, I would like to see the broader workforce become more technology aware, technology interested, technology um, forward. And we actually see that happening here. There are a bunch of people throughout uh, this agency 
that um, help us with our projects and they know a lot. They can do a lot. They can actually do simple programming, but they're really interested in what we do. And it is um, it is wonderful to work with them. It is wonderful to have conversations with them. I do not feel threatened by them. I feel empowered by them. So I would like to see more of that. I'd like to see more people that understand technology, more people that understand databases, more people that understand how different systems talk to each other, and more people that can think through a process that can be automated and work with us to make that happen. So that's one on the people front, that's what I would like to see. On the um, on the technology front, I would like to see re a replacement of buying large bespoke systems with loosely coupled platforms that can be swapped out as conditions change because even though we're right in the middle of modernizing something right now uh 10 years from now we could be in the same position because we bought a system we have a maintenance contract for it um the vendor that we were buying this from may not feel compelled to re-architect the system or to utilize best practices and we're kind of at their mercy so rather than being in a situation like that a loosely coupled set of platforms that do different things payments identity verification reporting um case management that would be the way to go in the future so but we need somebody to uh, create a set of products that work like that um, and that we can buy and we can buy in an easy way uh, so that's another thing i would like to see um and then uh the third thing, and I think we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of this conversation, really enhanced usage of data. Data is really important. I am not a data scientist. I create containers that can be used for data. I create mechanisms for data to travel. I create things that can be used to consume data. That's really important. But what's also important are data processes because if you have bad data, it's not worth anything at all. The people in the programs are the ones who are responsible for uh, doing their work and making sure that their work is done in such a way that the data around the work is correct and clean. Um, so the greater awareness of data, um, maybe enhanced automation to collect and share data, those would be really great things to do. So those are the things that I think are the most important and that I would like to see. In some senses, we are we are lucky here because we have a workforce that um, is fairly young um, and is pretty sharp and technology aware. Now, will they stay here forever? Probably not. But while they're here, um, they make it easy for somebody like me to do my job. Uh, but on the on the on the people front, we're already seeing that. On the other two technology and data fronts, uh, I think that's going to take a while. Um, suppliers that we that the government buys, either state or federal, suppliers have to step up and they have to really think about the future and not be so focused on just getting contracts and keeping them. Absolutely. Well, this is, there's a lot of great things in there. Hope people were taking notes. I know I was. I know we were taking notes on some of these things. The data issues, I we have been facing a lot of these very same data issues for decades. 
ever since we had the second system that needed to talk to the first system or the second app that needed to read data first app it's like we've been it's problem never to be solved and one of the things we are definitely interested in here at go future is bringing together a lot of folks like yourselves who are interested in working through some of these issues. I know there was a big movement like over a decade ago, data.gov, to try to solve some of these things, but it kind of moved. And you'd think that of all times now, like the interest in that would be at its heightened reach because AI and automation, but AI especially, machine learning is so dependent on good quality data. And I mean, that's basically a big, big data-based system. Uh, but like for whatever reason, it's, uh, you know, these are hard problems and there's not as much interest. So I'm hoping that maybe our community can, maybe we can, as I said, serve as a concentration point here to get different folks from different agencies and to sort of go back to some of our previous podcast episodes. If some of you are listening to this podcast for the, for the first time, listen to our interview with Andrew Lee, uh, Bureau of Fiscal Service. And actually we had an online demo with him as he was, he was showing off usaspending.gov. And the thing about USA spending is it's basically just an aggregation of of contract data from all these other systems. So in effect, all he was doing all day was trying to solve data integration problems and just put a nice little interface on top of it, a queryable uh, interface with a nice display. And so we tell you, talk about like, well, that's really, you know, 90% of the problem is just getting the data together in one place and sort of a consistent format with dealing with issues of, of inconsistent quality and availability and all sorts of stuff and uh, unsolved problems. So hopefully all the stuff you're talking about, uh, we can have this discussion. And as you mentioned, these are not necessarily technology problems. These are people and process issues, although there are some significant technology issues as you talked about shared services and things like that. So hopefully this could be one of many conversations we'll have with you on our uh, AI, you know, here on our Gut Future podcast and uh, as well as everything else that we are we're doing. So I encourage our listeners to stay tuned here. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for your great insight that you've been sharing with us on this podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to happy to share um, and hopefully we'll have a chance to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for this podcast. It's been such a wonderful discussion. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and also rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you're not already, become a member of GovFuture so you can take advantage of all that this community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with different government agencies at all levels of government, exclusive access to events, resources, and more. You can go to govfuture.com slash join to learn more and sign up, and I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. We also have great resources if you're looking to get more insight on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. So check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, which is tailored just for you, our GovFuture listeners. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.